welcome you to another podcast from Red River Scripture Circles. I'm Jennifer Schillinger, the Executive Director, and I am joined today, of course, by Noah Allman, who is our resident rabbi expert. <laughs> and also today we have a wonderful guest, Michael Anderson, who is um, so involved in so many different ministries and not only has the perfect voice for this podcast, which you're going to experience in just a moment, but also has um, just uh, a deep rich understanding and passion for the word. And so we're so excited to have his voice in the conversation today. So as a reminder, these podcasts really mirror the experience of being in one of our conversational circles. And so we haven't prepared what our conversation will be. We're just going to let the spirit guide. Um, But we are going to start with a theme or topic, and today it's going to be Shalom. And so we're just excited to invite you into this conversation with us. And I'll turn it over to Noah. Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, Shalom. When we talk about the word Shalom uh, in Hebrew, um, English peace, right? And that word peace. Now, when you hear the word peace, what do you hear? Stillness. Hmm. Settledness. Hmm. Could you say more about settledness? The idea that if if you think of like a stirred up water, like a stirred up uh, pool or a stirred up uh, stream. And then as it begins to settle down and everything's, everything becomes clear, everything becomes clarified. And even though it may still be an agitated water, there seems to be such a sense of, well, peace that that brings. Michael, that is beautiful. Oof. Okay, because, and I think that that actually, um, as you said, that was exquisite. Wow. Um, there can still be that agitation in the water. It's not as if that that's gone. And that, I think, is a very helpful framing of, of the concept of shalom or peace in biblical Hebrew. Um, the word shalom in Hebrew, it, it does mean peace. But to kind of climb a bit out of how we think of peace sometimes uh, nowadays in the modern world, sometimes people say, well, peace is an absence of what? Strife. Conflict or war. Strife, conflict, war, right? Those couldn't be present if there's going to be peace, right? It's, it's, I think, oftentimes how people think of peace. The word peace in biblical Hebrew, that word shalom has a root. And this gets to, uh, again, Hebrew's root-based structure of language. Most words in Hebrew having a three-letter root. Some words have uh, more letters. Some words have fewer letters, but most will have a three-letter root. And when you get to the root of the word, You really get the core concept that underlies an idea, and then the language builds upon itself. So shalom, which means peace, shalom's really a four-letter word. It has a three-letter root. And the root there in Hebrew is the word shalem. Shalem and shalem quite literally translates whole. W-H-O-L-E, to be whole. Now, whole or wholeness doesn't necessarily mean an absence of what? Wrestling. Conflict. Doesn't sound like a nap all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where, as Michael talked about there being an agitation in the water, the idea that peace couldn't have strife or that there couldn't be... um, conflict or or even maybe even war Uh, and in that sense right peace shalom really wholeness isn't dependent upon 
our what? Circumstance. Thank you, right? It's not circumstance dependent. This is not all that everything in my life is fine, therefore I have peace. Because it's real life. We, we know lots of people. We get to be um, in lots of, of different spaces. We, we get to hear about different communities all over the world. Um, and if in order to have peace, everything has to be... Fine. Perfect? Yeah. <laughs> Guess what I'm probably never going to experience? Perfect. <laughs> never going to have peace. If it's dependent on others, yeah. Or the situation or surroundings, yeah. And in that sense, peace is, is far less about our circumstances. And our peace really comes from where? Well, I think it comes from God. And I feel like it's the subtleness in, inside of us, you know, like... Yeah, it's an inside job, but it's not thing. I don't think it's something that we can completely do alone. And I, I think there's an uh, there's an important aspect that you know whether <clears throat> whether one refers to you know God specifically, the idea that ultimately that peace comes from without. It is not something that I generate. I don't just stop being agitated and call it peace. Wholeness has to come externally. It can't be something that I generate. Now, we, of course, understand that that comes from the Lord. But regardless of where one would estimate the piece of the, uh, the source to be, it's going to be something external. Otherwise, I can generate it. And if I can generate it, then I don't need anything else. And therein lies the problem. Oh, I don't want to pause and rewind that. Um, Michael, <laughs> yeah, as the idea that all of the answers can be found within ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the most unhelpful teachings that, that permeates this day. Mm-hmm. The, the idea that everything is based on some sort of self-help. Mm-hmm. We're all looking that somewhere from within you can pull up Every answer that you need, you can get everything that you need. Just look deep within and you'll find it. You will not. You cannot. And I think sometimes because we live uh, living in America and there is so much that exists within our borders, that I think there's sometimes this idea that we can always find it from within. The answers can reside within. And we don't think that anything beyond sometimes could actually help us, inform us, draw us closer to the Lord, or, or, or maybe have things that we don't have, mm-hmm. or ways of being and living and walking out our faith. Um, it, and it's just, it's so striking that that dynamic that I think we see play out, not just on, on an individual level, but I think also at a communal level. In, within our country of why would I ever need to look beyond us to think that anyone else could have any idea that's worthwhile mm-hmm. I do think there is there's still some interaction in that too though um, like I think you have to receive it you have to be open to it and receive it um, because it can be offered but um, it can like that choice can still be without like someone can not choose what's being offered to them and still be without peace 
Okay, so Jennifer, I think that, um, could you say that one more time? <laughs> I'm just saying that. I think that um, you have to be open to it. Like there's a, you have to open, be open to receiving it. It can't be, it can be offered, but there's a choice in that space still. You know, you can choose not to receive that. Thank you. Let, let's ground this um, in the word itself, right? So uh, Jennifer, I think that that so perfectly uh, does just that. Um, what you just said. So in thinking about um, an example of where we see the word peace, shalom, show up uh, in our scripture, um, Leviticus chapter 26. And just to give a bit of context to the verses uh, we're about to explore for a moment, Leviticus chapter 26, um, as you just said, so in Leviticus chapter 26, we're with the children of Israel. They are roughly sometime in their first year of their time in the wilderness still, um, while they crossed over the Red Sea, uh, Exodus 14, 15, um, in those two chapters, we are still within year one of our time in the wilderness in Leviticus 26, um, more than a book later. So it, it, just to kind of put that little puzzle piece in perspective, we're still in year one. Um, but to add one more angle of what's coming down the line, uh, in Numbers chapter 13, the children of Israel will send in 12 scouts to scout out the land. And when they send in 12 scouts, um, one of the things that's not oftentimes, I think, fully appreciated about that passage in Numbers chapter 13 is they're roughly only 12 to 18 months into their time in the wilderness in Numbers chapter 13, meaning we're in the first roughly year, year and a half of our time in the wilderness there. So we actually get a chance to go into the land um, in Numbers 13, 12 to 18 months in, and this passage, Leviticus 26, is probably taking place maybe only a handful of months of that um, b before that passage. So this is, you know, we're a few months to actually get our first chance to go in the land. And just as a real quick reminder, Numbers chapter 13, they send in 12 scouts to the land. 10 scouts come back and say, what after they've scouted the land? There's giants! <laughs> <laughs> and two scouts come back and say, our God is bigger, and there's grapes. <laughs> <laughs> all the yeah, the good food. Come on, I know it's manna all this time. Um, and and the people listen to who? The ten or the two? Ten. The ten, and they say we can't do it. We're not going to go in. And that's when God actually says, Numbers chapter fourteen. Oh well, you had forty days to scout out the land. It's going to be one year for each day now until you get to actually go in the land. Um, so we could have got in first year and a half. We're going to go in roughly 38 and a half years later, um, because we chose not to follow the two who saw that, oh yeah, we have God. Um, and just as a, a little bit of background, because I think that's a helpful reference point, because when we're here in Leviticus chapter 26, and we're looking at what the Lord is saying to the people, um, we're only a few months from that moment when we get a chance to cross over into the land. So here, um, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 6. I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down untroubled by anyone. I will give the land respite from vicious beasts, and no sword shall cross your land. Now that all sounds pretty what? Peaceful. Thank you. Peaceful, right? Life is good. I can kick my feet up. This is going to be easy street, right? You know, and, and all those things we were saying, yeah, there's no violence. There's none of this or that. Um, and just as a quick frame of reference, when it says, I will grant you or I will give you peace in the land, that word peace, uh, Leviticus 26, verse 6, is that word shalom. The full shalom, the, the, 
that peace word, not even the root, just the word peace. So verse 6, so peaceful. Now here we go, verse 7. You shall give chase to your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall give chase to a hundred, and a hundred of you shall give chase to ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. Meaning here comes God saying, in verse 6, I will give you peace, and you will pursue your enemy. Thank you. And there's going to be more of them <laughs> than you. I will give you peace. You're going to pursue your enemies. You're going to go to war. And you're going to be outnumbered. And in that pursuing your enemies, in battle, being outnumbered, you can have peace. Thank you. Because the idea that peace is strictly coming from we won the battle, or peace is coming from everything is, uh, you know, unicorns and cupcakes falling from the sky. You know, it, literally, you're going to go into battle, and you can have peace in that. Because your peace, as you said before, Michael, I think just so brilliantly, isn't dependent upon your circumstances. It's not dependent upon necessarily all that's happening. It's coming from the Lord. As he says, it's coming from outside. And we can have that within. I wonder a little bit too about the communion dynamic here. Like, what is it to say, um, like, yes, that we can even have it settled in our spirit, that sense of peace, even amidst the external challenge of, of war and pursuing our enemies. But communally, what does that peace look like then, too? Yeah, what does it look like? What does it look like? What do you guys think? So I think, I think um, to hook back into the Numbers 13 dynamic, because I think when the Lord is giving these words, it can kind of sound, well, why is God telling the people this? You know, why would they tell them this in Leviticus 26? But this is actually, I want to suggest, the very verses that hopefully the people would have had in the back of their ears ringing when they went to scout out the land, that they would be outnumbered. Because when they go into the land and they see those giants, they say, we can't do it, there's giants. But God has actually already told them. Peace. And you will have victory. You will have victory. And you will be outnumbered. Right? So it's easy. Like, it's it's kind of funny. To, it's almost funny. It's kind of a little sad, too, for the, for the people. Uh, right? That when we're looking at that number 13... They were told explicitly, you'll be outnumbered. It'll look like certain defeat. You're going to chase them, and you're going to have peace in it. And and I think, as you said, what it looks like communally, and kind of the inverse of when we don't have it, the Numbers 13 example, what it says is Numbers 13 uh, closes. Um, when the people, it seems, are, are very much inclining towards listening to the 10 scouts and not the two, it says, we were grasshoppers in our own eyes, and therefore they saw us as such. We were grasshoppers in our own eyes, and therefore they saw us as such. If that's what we see, that's obviously what they see. Which is not obvious, but it is a presumption. It is a assumption that we make that sets us up for defeat. And to me, it's the complete um, distinction between the people who will cross into the land in the book of Joshua and the people who don't in Numbers 13. 
when we are grasshoppers in our own eyes. Impossible. And as you said, if we see ourselves that way, how would they not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Long, awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> so today, when we're talking about peace, right? Because it's not necessarily that we're going and chasing enemies with swords. Right. It, it, this is, um, but I love, as you said at the beginning, Michael, that the waters can be agitated, right? The the idea that all of my relationships have to be going well, all of of uh, everyone I know has to be doing well. No one can be in poor health. Then I will be at peace. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be waiting an awful long time. Yes. Now, um. You were speaking a little earlier about um, something you were seeing in our society uh, when we first walked into the room before we were able to get set up. Um, could, could you uh, say again what you were seeing? Oh. Well, I said so many profound things when we walked in. Yeah. Like, hey, there's a table here. Um, <laughs> the idea as conversations have been coming up uh, around the community with uh, the variety of pastors that I get to work with. The idea that we're seeing is that what we're all longing for is some sort of an answer, some sort of a way forward. And part of that way forward is found in, can we uh, find security? Can we find um, some sort of order? Can we find, uh, for many, it's it's supply. Um, we have the angst and anxiety over uh, over the pandemic, over uh, did you get your vaccine or not? Uh, do you have enough food? Uh, everything. Can we get all these things for ourselves beforehand? Once we get those, then we will have peace. And yet, biblically, the answer is that we find peace first. And all those things are found within it. Because that is where the contentment is found. And if I don't have that, if I don't have the contentment, if I don't have the peace first, it is simply a pursuit of things. It's a pursuit of something that is a, um, uh, it's a, it's a false equivalency to peace because it's simply trying to stabilize. Yeah, some sort of like external control. You know, mm-hmm. you know there's a... A reliance on something to create that for us. Mm-hmm. That the yeah. end result is peace, not the source right. is peace. Yeah, that is, yeah, right? As, I love as you just said that, right? The end result, mm-hmm. not the source. And to see that, no, no, the source is peace and outflow from that, not because that list is always going to get longer, right? The things that I need to get in my home that I need to have in order to be at peace, it, it it's always going to extend. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be things to perseverate on. There's always going to be things to worry about. There's always going to be something missing. Now, will it ever be enough? Uh, someone had asked once, a uh, conversation comes up quite a bit on, you know, uh, you know, what's, what's an appropriate salary for clergy? 
And often the question is, you know, how much, how much, well, how much of a raise do you need? And it's the answer is typically just a little bit more. Yeah, I think it's it's so. I was reading research studies, so not just about clergy, but um, professionals, actually, and that um, uh, they had done a research like across the board. So you know, from entry level all the way up to like CEO. You know, so a broad span of um, salary levels. And like that same question was posed to them, whether like wh- how much more do you think you need to make in order to feel comfortable? And across the board, it was uh, 20%. 20% more. So at, at, at any level, all the levels, 20% felt like, oh, okay, like if I was there, then maybe. But clearly, you know, there was people that were there. That need twenty percent more, and twenty percent more, and then twenty percent more, mm-hmm. right? It's a it's a moving, um, unsatisfying target. Mm-hmm. And it'll net right. It'll never be satiated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was reminded as we were both speaking of um, one time in a study, uh, a very dear friend in another part of the world, um, who he was on the uh, he was like a, on the board of his church, and he was talking about how he had been there for was 10 or 12 years and he said that every single meeting started um, and they met I think it was monthly or I think it was monthly um, and they said every single meeting started with what are we going to do if we don't make budget <laughs> what are we going to do if we don't make budget <laughs> yep every single meeting that was the very first question what are we going to do if we don't make budget and he said um, after about eight or nine years one time he went to the treasurer in the group and he said so I'm just actually curious, how many times have we not made budget? And the treasurer said, oh, never. We've always made it. Mm-hmm. And he was just astonished. He said, so he's been there for eight or nine years at this point. Every single meeting, every single month, what do we do if we don't make budget? Had actually never been a problem. They had always, every single time. through, And there had been economic downturns in that time. And it, I have heard that so many times. That's the... <clears throat> so what do we do? What do we do? Let's make plans. But what happens if we do make it? What happens if we have a nexus? What could we do with that? Oh, no. Let's always concentrate on we're always going to be a day late and a dollar short. <sighs> because that piece comes at the end. Right, Michael? That, yes. that piece, yeah. Yes, it does. <laughs> We finally run the course and, and we've run our history. Hey, you know what? We actually made it. Great. You've been here the entire time. You've been good the entire time. What did you do with it? Well, just a little bit more. Yeah, what are you robbed of in the process? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, I, I, yeah, I, and, you know, it reminds me of a question that I heard. You know, and I think it gets to where do we think that ultimate truth lies, you know, in the unknown future? And, and I think there's a whole lot of, of how um, life gets lived that, oh, it's it's in the unknown future. And I think as you're saying, well, what if it's actually right here, right now? And it's been given to us and, and we're, we're right in it. Yeah, can we receive it? The can we receive it, right? You know, it's like, can can the children of Israel in Leviticus 26 just say, 
oh, yeah, we can do this. So that months later, we do it. You know, and, and I think as well, um, a, a total, uh, an, an example that I think maybe more mirrors parts of um, how life looks like today, Solomon. You know, here, when we look at King Solomon um, and think about early days of his kingship in 1 Kings 3, um, usually referred to as the Wisdom of Solomon passage, Solomon's name, Shlomo in Hebrew, literally peace. So here we have King Peace. And King Peace is really at a time that follows his father, David, where David has fought all the wars. Um, they're, they're, they, he's settled a lot of those battles. And there's tremendous prosperity in the land. Uh, they're flourishing like never before. Um, they're at a very central trading route. Uh, there are goods. Um, there, there's just a movement of finance going all throughout the country in all different directions. And here's King Peace. Dad settled all the battles. What's one of the very early actions that he takes one Kings 3? Mary's princess of Egypt. Makes an alliance with Pharaoh. You know, it, and, yeah, Michael? Doesn't seem to be the, the best first step to make. No, it's, like, uh, of, of, of all the first things to do, that's the last first thing I would want to do. Right? And, and um, he's 12 to 15 years of age when he takes over as king. The thought is he's roughly 15 to 18 when he does that in 1 Kings 3. But he's in his early years. This is one of the big early things he's doing. He's going to marry Pharaoh's daughter. Bring her in to Israel. Yeah. Well, because... While David has fought a lot of wars, you know, maybe we feel 96% secure, but if I marry her, we could be like 97.8% secure. And our GDP, because uh, we made an alliance with, with another powerful nation, our GDP is going to grow. Mm -hmm. And we, we, will have, um, we will have made uh, a, a different kind of relationship with the long-term people who oppressed us. I mean, I, truly, I think if that were to happen today, if you were to say, we're gonna, we're gonna make, um, we're gonna try to build a relationship with someone who oppressed us a long time ago, and we are gonna be more secure, there's less of a chance that your children will go uh, and have to fight a war, and our economy's gonna grow, uh, most people would say. It's a good idea. <laughs> Let's do it. I mean, what are you waiting for? Imagine the positive headlines. You know, you could just see the, the scrolls on the news. Right? And here's the thing, though. When when that happens, now um, we have uh, a princess in the kingdom of Israel, um, and Solomon uh, is probably going to you know, have relations with this person. Um, and now we could have a little baby prince um, who could... Betray us? Mm-hmm. Compromise us? What are the things that we compromise on, right? And are we compromising on the core fundamentals? Mm -hmm. Are we compromising on... Uh, you bring the silverware. <laughs> what are we actually compromising on? And, and this is part of the very... You know, mm -hmm. we're compromising on core... But more secure, more money, 
settling scores, taking the high road. It'll just result in peace. Uh, <laughs> he's already there. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And how easy that is, and I think, what an example of the times are actually really good. The times are really, really good, but they could be even better. Just, yeah, a little bit more, a little bit closer to where we think we should be. Like our own self-definition of peace. And right. like, this is my target. I mean, that's maybe not what God is saying, but that's my target. I feel more comfortable under these circumstances. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll make some concessions. Mm. And I think, it, right in that vein as well, I need to do something here. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard you kind of speaking to that before, Michael. Uh, let me do something. Let mm-hmm. me be active. Because otherwise I might just seem lazy or passive or, or like I don't care. When actually sometimes the thing to do is to just not. Again, going back to the idea that peace is something that comes from within. Peace is something that I can control and I will make peace. You, You can make peace with your enemies and yet never be at peace with them and never have peace. I can... Am I making peace or am I simply making nice or am I making concessions or am I, what am I making? Uh, uh, a mess? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe sometimes. And Michael, actually that does, that brings up a question to me, for me, because I, I feel like sometimes we see in the passage where we talk about like seeing the, to the shalom of others. Like, what does that look like? You know, like how how are we also, you know, it, in some ways maybe manifesting it and we're not supposed to be doing anything. And then when is it that, you know, where, where there is some sort of like relational interaction, communal interaction that is good, like we should be engaging in that. And there is some like potential like restoration or something, some wholeness like that we have a... Um, a godly responsibility in. Hmm. Okay, well, I, I, I love it. Uh, yeah, okay, so um, makes me think of Genesis 37 uh, with Joseph and the brothers. And um, Israel, uh, their father, says to Joseph in Genesis chapter 37, uh, go and see to the shalom, peace, wholeness of your brothers and the shalom, peace, wholeness of their flocks and bring me back word. And that is where the brothers will then debate between murdering Joseph or selling him into slavery, uh, except for Reuben. Um, and they choose the, out of the kindness, seemingly, of their hearts to just sell him into slavery down to Egypt. Uh, okay, right? And, and, and so here was Joseph sent to see to the shalom, peace, wholeness of his brothers and their flocks. And as I think you just said, Jennifer, you know, it, 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 when is it maybe a divinely, you know, God has something for us here, and when is it, I'm trying to make it happen, and that's not my space, as Michael said. And I, because, and what I think is so incredible about Joseph here, Joseph um, is seemingly off to do that in Genesis 37. The brothers sell him into slavery, but then the brothers will uh, come to see him years and years down the line when there's a famine in the land, um, and Joseph is second in command of all of Egypt. Um, Joseph, of course, recognizes them seemingly instantly. The brothers have 
it, it sounds as if they have no clue who's standing before them. Um, and when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, uh, he'll actually say to them, the very first time he reveals himself to them, he kind of bursts into tears. He can't control himself. And he'll say, um, it's me, Joseph. You know, how's my father doing? And he continues, though, by saying, I forgive you. It's it's really okay. Like what you what you had meant for bad, God had a whole different plan. And, and, and look what happened because I was here. I, we were able to save the whole region from famine um, because I was able to be here in this space at this time. And the brothers don't, it says they're like they're dumbfounded. They can't quite figure out what to make of what they're hearing because it's just so beyond comprehension. Mm-hmm. And I think a piece, um, sorry, didn't mean to use the word peace, like P-I-E-C-E, peace to this conversation. Um <laughs> totally unintentional uh you know that speaks to a, a dimension of what happens when with, with the question you're articulating jennifer um is in genesis chapter 50 in genesis chapter 50 um joseph uh and his brothers their father has died um and the brothers are afraid that joseph is finally going to get them back for what they did to him and so in Genesis 50, though, one of the things is the dynamics that I think we oftentimes lose is when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers in Genesis chapter 45 to when Genesis chapter 50 takes place, they've actually all been living together down in the area of Egypt for 17 years. They've been living together, roughly Goshen area down in Egypt, for, for 17 years with Joseph, the brothers, and their father all together for 17 years. And for 17 years, the brothers, seemingly at some level, are thinking, he's going to get us. We know what we did. We sold him into slavery. He was also later falsely imprisoned um, in a really ugly circumstance with Potiphar's wife. Um, And and so here we are in Genesis 50. He's finally going to get us back. And so the brothers go through kind of a a bit of a, a... thing to try and say we're sorry and they do actually say they are sorry um and joseph will then say you know am i in the place of god uh what you intended for evil god intended for good so as to bring about the present result the survival of many people and i would want to suggest that 17 years even after he's revealed himself to his brothers which was also you know decades earlier when they sold him into slavery he's still seen to the shalom of his brothers in the shalom peace wholeness of their flocks and the thing about it that's so complicated is he can't force it. He can't make them receive that forgiveness. He can't make them receive that peace wholeness. Mm. <clears throat> well, he's trying to, like you said, he's trying to provide them like that, that space of like, I'm providing you, you have, you have land, you have the richest land, actually probably the best land in the region. Um, like you're, Families are safe. Your flocks are safe. Everybody's prosperous. Seemingly, from an external perspective, that could have been that wholeness, that peace, that he, you know, had seen to his brothers, and they just didn't receive it for seventeen years. So still, afterwards, they're still like, "He's gonna get us. He's gonna get us." <laughs> like, what? What have they given up in re- like relationship, but also in that. Um, the experience of that wholeness mm-hmm. you know they've been experiencing as though that peace is missing that that forgiveness is missing that that settling that even that need of vulnerability in a relationship all of that is missing 
because they couldn't they couldn't receive what was being offered to them. And I, I love his um, there there's an ask to keep showing up. To keep showing up, to keep coming to the mm-hmm. table, to keep offering that shalom, that peace, that wholeness. And and he mm-hmm. and he, it seems that he keep he keeps doing that for years. I mean you could imagine day after week, after month, after year, after the say, it, yeah, they're hanging out. It's not like, cool, see you in 17 years when dad dies. It's like, no, every single day there's an opportunity to receive that, to see the restoration that is being offered to them. Mm-hmm. And still. And so when, I think, as you said, there's maybe a, a godly invitation to bring peace, to bring wholeness, the ability to be patient in that, to not try to say, well, I heard it from God, so it's got to be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. When it could be years or decades or generations down. And I think the temptation in that, like for Joseph, like could he allow like the, the his brother's inability to receive that to rob him of his own peace? You know what I mean? Like I think sometimes, like we're all good, and then and so then we're we're sitting okay, like we maybe we're feeling whole, and then and then we engage someone else. And then they're like, we allow the way that people receive or don't receive things to then impact the way that like we're entering into those situations. Like can Joseph continue to, like you said, wholeheartedly continue to be in that space of restoration with their brothers and not get, um, not be affected by the way that they're receiving or not. And that's an issue I think that we see with our, well, I guess I am part of that older generation that we are looking at, um, we see off, so often see the, uh, the older generation, the parents, the grandparents who are living in such angst because their children or grandchildren are not uh, walking with the Lord or they're not doing well in life. And, uh, and so the question of, so, well, you know, so here you are now in the golden years of life. What are you doing? How are you serving the Lord? How are you making the most of these days? And the concern is, well, well, if my kids were just, if my grandkids were just, and all of life goes on hold until that happens. Mm-hmm. And, but, but when does that day arrive? What is enough? And where where do you find then finally you'll be able to step forward and for a lot of people honestly this is it's paralyzing and you know being able to work with uh, several different groups that I do my wife and I do we find so often this this becomes prevalent and especially now when we see more tumultuous times uh, people are frozen because they're waiting for this has to happen first well, why don't you just, basically, why aren't you living like Joseph? I know the relationship. I know the peace that I have. I know the promise that I have from God. I know the dreams that I've had, whatever it might be. I'm simply going to walk in that. And if they choose not to, I can't put that on hold. God did not give a time to Joseph. He simply knew what he dreamed. And when that time is is up to God. What am I doing with today? 
And that's, I think, where we see a, a different picture of Joseph in that with every circumstance that he went through. You know, and, and the idea that, um, and Noah, you'll be able to probably pull this for free recall, but it says that, that, that the word of God tested Joseph. That that word, that that dream tested him. He kept it front of mind. He was never looking at, well, is this the day it's going to happen? Is this the day it's going to happen? Is this what it is? It was simply, I'm living in the light of this revelation. I'm living in the light of this dream. I'm not giving up on it, but it's not today. But that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean it's not coming. It just means it's not right now. And there was not a time when he said, all right, you know what? Forget this. I'm done. You know what? Yeah, it was the anchovies. I know it was the anchovies. <laughs> it was the pizza. It had to be. No, there's a time when you simply say, I know what the Lord has spoken, and I'm going to walk in that. And I can't look at what's going on around me, because if I do, it will rob me. Okay, there's, there's Potiphar's well. Okay, all right, I guess it's all over. Well, here I am, and I was forgotten again in prison. Yeah, I guess it's all over. And in that, I think we hear ourselves. We hear ourselves in the things we know that God has spoken to us. And we say, well, it's over now. And someone says, well, just hold on. I'm tired of holding on. Hold on. Hold on. I, I, you know, not to, not to diverge too far away from where you're going in the scripture, but I think it's interesting the number of times that God said, and, and you can, you know, be not afraid or, you know, or the, or the, the be at peace or be not afraid. There's never any um, expansion on that. It's simply the command, don't do this or do this. There's never a, here's the 17 steps to success. Here's your five steps to tell you how to fulfill the will of God, which you can buy right now at your local bookstore for $7.99. Makes a great Christmas gift. Um, how, do you, how do you do that? How does God just say, don't be afraid or be at peace and then leave it there? Because that's exactly how you do it. You live there. How do we learn that? How do we do that? We have examples in scripture, but what does that mean for Jennifer today? When I have to put up with having Michael come in here and yammer on and on and on and on. <laughs> what does that look like? How do I do that? I don't like how you were saying earlier how um, it's not it's not a self will and a self help, um, and I almost I almost love when God simply states things because I always think they're invitations into relationship. You know, they're mm -hmm. invitations to seek. They're invitations to be just just be, um, but not alone like with Him. And that's exactly it. It's not a prescription. It's not an instruction. It's an invitation. And that's the part that we miss. We try to turn those into prescriptions. We try to turn those into instructions. Mm -hmm. And it's not. 
That's beautiful. It's an invitation. That's terribly unsatisfying. <laughs> and yet. <laughs> and yet. And yet. It's perfectly, perfectly satisfying. satisfying. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, when you were um, about Joseph. And Joseph has this ability to live in the present and live as if he's God's word has already been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Even if it hasn't in a physical manifestation, he's living as if, oh, it already is. Well, God said it. Mm-hmm. And what does it actually mean to live that way? Not, not to necessarily, and, and please, I'm not trying to be difficult here, not to have moments of it, mm-hmm. but to actually live a life where, oh, if God has said it, it's done. So why would I, why would I be afraid? Why would I worry? Because it, he said it. And, and Joseph mm-hmm. is able to do that in a way that's, it's like, Whoa. But I actually think that is such an example for all of us of mm-hmm. if the Lord has actually said it, can I actually live as if it already is? Mm-hmm. And so can we do that? Mm-hmm. First of all, is it possible? Yes. And that's the simple answer. And that's the complicated answer. Yes, it is. And that's the part I think that we hear things like this, we listen to things like this, and we think, well, that's all well and good, but you don't understand X, Y, Z. Here's a guy who was sold into slavery by his own flesh and blood brothers. Here's a guy who was falsely charged of rape and thrown into prison. Here's a guy who was forgotten in prison. Here's a person who, for 17 years, while he's taking care of his family, they can't receive the forgiveness for the thing that they did to him when they afflicted him by selling him into slavery. And he can do it. And as you said, there is not one single solitary time ever in his life in the book of Genesis that ever records him complaining. Mm -hmm. And boy, if there was a person who had a right to complain in the book of Genesis, he would be very high up on that list. Um, And yet it never, and it's not as if we don't, we aren't told when people complain, we get a whole lot of it in the next four books of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is a way to live this. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in a study last night. Um, someone uh, made the statement um, just brilliantly. He goes, it's actually so simple. And when we're kind of in the being of this world, it's so simple, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. But in truth, it is just so simple. Mm-hmm. And it made me think of that when you were just saying that. Oh, thank you so much for this conversation. It was so rich. Um, And thank you for listening. Uh, We just really hope that you'll consider this idea of peace. Like, what does that invitation look like in your life? Um, What are you delaying, maybe, in the pursuit of? Um, And how can you you invite that into your life now um, instead of waiting and pursuing and delaying and hoping but just receiving and having the openness to do that. So we hope that you'll join us for a conversation in the circle soon. And um, we'll hope you'll see us or hear us next time on our next podcast. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank Thank you, you, Jennifer.